0: buddy and welcome back to the Lawcast. This time we're going back to cover perhaps the weirdest SummerSlam of them all. It's SummerSlam 2006. Quesh, when I bring up this year 2006, what comes to mind?
1: The the whole, whole entire year 2006, for better and for worse, has this like green gloss and like a big X sign in front of it for me. Because so much of this year is wrapped up in the build to DX, the happening of DX, DX all over every single show doing 24 segments, the eventual like disillusion of DX, which is a shame because this really should just be remembered as the year of Edge Cena had it actually ended up the way we wanted.
0: It's funny. I feel like this is the year that... Attitude Era nostalgia Like it had yes. been long enough since the, It had been long enough since the 90s That we could now be nostalgic For it like we were past Those first couple of years of the 2000s Were just really the aftermath of the Attitude Era like here we're now Getting into like our first round of Attitude Era nostalgia and they really This show in particular is Just 90s In almost every match It's a 90s match
1: Oh you're absolutely right um, and I will say, like, this may be the horniest pay-per-view ever aired by WWE from start to finish. This was a very horny era, wasn't it? It just, like, like it, people think of the Attitude Era of being as being an era of this, like, nonstop sex and debauchery. And look, there was some of that stuff on TV, but it's got nothing on Eric Bischoff era Raw. Like, absolutely nothing on it.
0: Yeah. Weirdly, this era is raunchier, and I can't quite tell you why. Is it that they kind of kept... like st- They kept the sex stuff away from Steve Austin in the
1: 90s, and so that it rarely spilled into the main event? But, like, there's no... Literally no elements of this show that does not involve at least some horniness. There's no match on the show except I think Big Show and Sabu that doesn't involve a woman getting involved. There's just that match is not thankfully not horny at all. <laughs> I mean maybe for Sabu, not for anybody else.
0: Oh, but yeah, there is horniness all over this show, and we will know that, Tom. Um, like I said, this summer of 06 is a crazy time for WWE. I don't know if this was an especially hot summer or what, but people are going crazy. They brought back ECW. They brought back DX. They brought back Mick Foley as a part-timer. They even dusted off Hulk Hogan. We've got guys getting in fights backstage. we got guys bearing each other in books, and then... One of their top stars is on what they call Death Watch in the dirt sheets. Death Watch. What the fuck is happening? Yeah. I mean, and all this, this year to me, in these next couple of years, we've talked about this before, but doesn't it just feel like Eddie Guerrero's death just kind of loomed over this
1: company for a long time? Like, as much as I remember being around during that period and, like, how, like, severe that was, when you go back and watch shows like this, like, it's stunning how much. No wrestler's death has ever loomed this heavy over a product before. Like, there are There's multiple so many... matches and storylines that are just about him. Yeah, it's just so many guys are defined by their relationship
0: to Eddie Guerrero. And it just, for me, these couple of years, it, and it's very much compounded by the Benoit murder that happens the year after this. Yes. These couple of years, just it's just hazy. I just have this memory of, like, I was kind of engaged, but it just didn't feel right anymore. And it didn't, I don't know. I didn't really enjoy wrestling again for several years after this. I feel feel like maybe not
1: till the punk stuff in 2011 did I kind of get back. It's funny because what we should really remember this time for is Edge and Cena become what should have been the defining rivalry of this generation. Um, That's really not what we wind up getting. Um, we get it, like, sporadically here and there, and they really never revisit it after this year. But that's such a breakthrough thing that happens in this year, and it feels fresh and exciting and amazing. And then it just kind of feels like it slips into this morass of, like, wild shit going on, and then it just gets lost like everything else. It's a bummer. I just... It goes back to... I thought, and I'm sure they thought, too,
0: that after WrestleMania 21, they had it made, that they had Cena and Batista as their new rock in Austin, and they were heading into another boom period, and it's just the unfortunate reality that they weren't, and those guys did not get over the way they were hoping they would, and did not become the monster draws they were hoping they would be, and instead they just kind of had to settle for those guys were able to maintain their business after it had been declining for years. But so here a year later, they realize the boom isn't here and it feels like they just start throwing Hail
1: Marys. We're just going to try crazy stuff and see if we can get a spark and nothing really hits. It's one of those things like, like let's say that you're building a football team, right? And like, you think you've drafted the quarterback of the future. So you start loading up on like veterans around him and you like start like high price free agents because like your windows open it's time but then maybe that guy sucks and you're like oh shit because we lever leveraged our whole future to make this time now so maybe you just start making wild trades and signing all these weird dudes just trying to make it work that's what they're doing here they thought they had the centerpieces but they don't and so now they're just like well maybe we have enough other stuff that don't work anyway but it just it, it feels sad So
0: the summer kicks off with One Night Stand 2006, the ECW revival. And that's actually a great show in stark contrast to the disaster that was this ECW revival. But in the main event, RVD beats John Cena to win the WWE title in an awesome match, one of my favorites of this era. And of course like two weeks later rvd
1: and sabu get busted smoking weed in their car right before the fourth of july this is just the era of letdowns isn't it like all this cool yes. exciting shit happens and then suddenly it's like oh eddie guru becomes just, the top baby face oh wait he's dead <laughs> literally it's the we're so back it's so over meme and wrestling form every week we're so back and then it's so over I just can't think of any time where it felt like stuff was constantly boomeranging like that. (laughs) These days, things don't change. Like, per year, you get, like, one thing that happens. Those days, it felt like every fucking week something new was changing like that. So
0: Van Damme gets suspended, and he has to drop both the WWE and ECW titles first He loses the WWE title to Edge on Raw on July 3rd in a triple threat match that also included John Cena. And then he loses the ECW title to the Big Show on the 4th of July. And then he serves his 30-day suspension. They were not
1: planning to change the WWE title on a holiday episode of Raw that no one watched. I feel confident that no. Yeah. And the problem was that that RVD title reign was really working. They did was, not. That was going to last yeah. like a couple months. It was the breath of fresh air they did. And just Cena not having the belt for a little while was good for the company and good for him. And I don't really know how long RVD was going to have it. Because I don't really know, aside from know. Cena who he was going to face.
0: Yeah, I don't think he was. I I, my suspicion is he was going to lose it to Edge, but I don't know exactly when it would have been. I think, yeah, maybe it would have been Cena versus Edge versus RVD here at SummerSlam because, you know, they were going to have Cena challenge for the title in Boston. Yeah, that's the thing that makes the most sense. And then, I don't know, Edge may have... Probably would have had Edge win that one, and then they do the edge Cena match in Canada, like, in Toronto at Unforgiven, like they actually did.
1: I think that they were always planning on doing that, because they think they were always planning on sending Edge to SmackDown, because I think that they thought, fuck, SmackDown needs Edge a lot more than Raw does. (laughs) So, they ran a Saturday night's main event on July
0: 15th. this was the second of this new Saturday Night Main Event run. They were never able to recapture the magic from the 80s. These shows drew just abysmal ratings. This one did a 2.65, which I'm not even sure that audience is as big as the audience Raw was getting at this point.
1: Yeesh. I remember being really excited for it, though. That Me was too. the first Saturday Night's Main Event I had ever seen live. I was really excited. Yeah, and, like, the other thing is, this, I'm pretty sure these were in prime time. These weren't the late night time slot.
0: They gave them, like, 9 p.m. on Saturday nights, and oh, it yeah. just totally flopped.
1: And um, they got, like, like, a full, like, Cena-Edge match, too. And they were like, well, that'll yeah. draw for sure. No. Nope. <laughs> no. No.
0: No, uh, Edge got disqualified to retain the title there, and then Cena hit him with the FU through the announce table. Which is fine and everything. So we get a very weird card here. We've got Cena challenging Edge for the WWE title, King Booker defending the World Heavyweight title against Batista, Hulk Hogan versus Randy Orton in what will turn out to be Hogan's last ever WWE match, DX versus the McMahons, and Mick Foley versus Ric Flair in an I quit match. I've prepared what is basically a lightning round
1: to go over what all these storylines were. That's good, because every single match on this show has, like, a ridiculously ornate long storyline. Yeah. So, like, good for them for doing that, but a lot of them are bonkers. <laughs> so... Ed showed up at John Cena's dad's house and then
0: beat him up to get heat for that match. Hell yeah. <laughs> Just slapped
1: the ever loving shit out of John Cena Sr. Bless John Cena Sr., who wanted to be, like, he was like a, a part time indie wrestler. Yeah. So, like, all he wanted to do was be a wrestler so bad. That's all he ever wanted. <laughs> what he had to settle for
0: instead was all of his son's rivals beating him up because Randy Orton got to do this too.
1: Yeah, wasn't the one who like pie-faced him when he was in the front row and just beat the shit out of him? I think, you think he he might have punted him, too. Fuck. <laughs> um,
0: Booker T and Batista got into a real fight at a SummerSlam commercial TV shoot. Um speculation about the reasoning for this Booker has always just said it was because he thought Batista acted like he was better than everybody on Smackdown there's been speculation that there may have been an issue with Charmel and Molina, who was Batista's lady friend at the time how funny would it be if
1: batista is just the center
0: of all this i think that is basically what happened here yeah batista
1: Batista got his ass beat for melina just like mick foley did in storyline it's just very funny to me that like he's just banging melina they're not in a relationship but if he gets his ass kicked over it, that's very funny to me apparently
0: charmel kicked him in the balls during this fight
1: hell yeah
0: don't fuck with charmel she's nasty um most accounts here have booker getting the better of the fight but batista hit him with a hard shot at the end that caused his eye to swell up either way it sounds like both guys were beaten up pretty bad this
1: this doesn't sound like a slap fight it sounds like they were throwing actual punches it does sound that way and like that's the that's the rare kind of fight. Like, normally it never gets to the point where, like, punches are exchanged. Most of these guys can't actually fight, but these guys actually can. Like, Batista was a bouncer. Booker was in a gang in Houston. Booker's not a guy I would mess with. Yeah, that's the thing. These are both guys who have actual fighting, like, on the streets for real experience. Like, not... They're not, like, shooters, but, like, they're guys that you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley, you know? no. And insanely,
0: I don't know if it was always planned that they were going to have a program or if this was the reason they did. But after they had this fight, they decided to put them in a match against each other at SummerSlam. And they were just very open that this fight happened. They just published a story on their website about
1: that. That's the funny didn't thing. Really, didn't really kayfabe it either. Like the idea that you're going to publish a story about like, yeah, so at a photo shoot recently, our babyface got his ass got whooped ass by ass the chicken feet. shit yeah. heel. That's the thing about it is you would
0: think if you're gonna do this, you'd like find a way to tell the story. But it was just like, oh yeah, Booker
1: thought Batista was disrespectful, so he beat his ass. So like it's like, oh, well I guess Batista's not nearly the badass I thought he was then. Jesus. (laughs)
0: <laughs> just in such stark contrast to how AEW has handled Punk and the Elite Where they're not even allowed to be in the building at the same time Like, have to be on
1: different shows Here's like, oh yeah, those guys can wrestle each other now That's so funny to me But like, that's that's how most business is done A yeah. lot of guys have been in fistfights with each other in wrestling history It's not weird at all No <sighs>
0: Uh, Randy Orton tried to hook up with Brooke Hogan and then RKO'd Hulk onto the trunk of a car.
1: Now, the best part is, for you guys out there, I bet you weren't really sure until he got to the end of that whether he meant in real life or in the kayfabe, because it's probably (sighs) both. Brooke had recently turned 18. Here's the funny thing. So Hogan Knows Best is a thing that's happening at this yeah. point. And it's actually a pretty huge success. Like, a lot of people oh, are watching it.
0: Shoot. like it, kind, of the re- that was kind of the revival of Hulk
1: Hogan, that Hogan yeah. Knows Best was a major success. That's back when BH1 was just cranking out garbage and everybody watched it. Yeah. And so, like, I, I, I genuinely think that somebody pitched at some point, hey, let's get Randy Orton on this show as Brooke's boyfriend. Yeah, they should have done that. that excellent
0: and just didn't happen for whatever reason yeah uh dx antagonized vince with all kinds of wacky stunts like dropping shit on him taking over the control truck truck and making it sound like vince was farting and impersonating vince and shane to do the
1: stand back song the the impersonating Vincent Shane thing was something that was held up for a few years after that. As like, wow, one of the great comedy segments in wrestling history. And it Cringe. sucks so bad. It is one of the I most don't think, cringy things. I don't know that this version of DX was
0: ever in a good segment. No, I'll take it back. The one where Shawn Michaels starts randomly super kicking
1: people backstage was really funny. Let's be clear. Shawn Michaels was funny. He actually is... Because he's in on the joke that they're lame. Yes, that's the thing. Shawn Michaels understands that he's a lame yeah. dad, and he leans <laughs> into that. this fundamentally ridiculous, but Triple H isn't ready for that. No, Triple H is dead serious. He's the yeah. one who's getting, like, Candice Michelle to blow him oh, while he squirts God. mustard all over the place, and, like, he's the one who, like, he think Triple H, maybe his greatest failing, I don't know. No, his greatest failing is that he knew for a fact that women were being sexually assaulted and did nothing about it. That's his greatest. But his second greatest is that he thinks he's super fucking funny. Like, he just genuinely believes that. And now we get to what
0: I really want to talk about.
1: This Mick Foley-Rick Flair feud. Oh, Steve's been, like, charging up like a bull, ready to go at this one this whole week. I'm so excited.
0: I went back and read the Hardcore Diaries. Read well, he read the worst book ever written. Horrible book that Mick Foley wrote about this summer, which, against all odds, that's somehow the bitterest wrestling book I've ever read, which is really saying something.
1: Like, literally, of all the wrestling books, and, like, the majority of them are extremely bitter.
0: Yeah. A wrestling book is just an excuse for guys to settle scores with people. And somehow Uh Mick Foley
1: writes the angriest book of them all. But the wildest thing is that it's coming off of Foley is Good, which is the happiest, least angry or bitter wrestle book ever written. (sighs) What
0: happened to Mick? Between his retirement and he... I
1: think he just started to look back on his career with regret. I mean, he would have to, right? Like, when he wrote the other books, he was looking forward to, like, the end. And, like, the end of all his trials and tribulations and, like, his legacy and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, when you go home and you're like, all right, it's time to retire at 34. Yeah. You got a lot of time to look back. What are you gonna do for the next fifty years? How are you gonna pay all those medical bills you're racking up? And also, like, he's like a tremendously creative guy. He has no yeah. outlet for that now. Like, he's yeah. just gonna. Sit he tries
0: around. to. He tried to write novels, and they were really... Did you read Tatum Brown or whatever?
1: Yes, I bought a copy, oh. and I waited in line to get it autographed. Yes. <sighs> That's never... weird shit. I never cracked the cover. I'll tell you that shit right now. I just (laughs) wanted to get an autograph.
0: So Foley and Flair have a feud that's based around stuff they had written about each other in their books that had come out years before this. Like we just talked about Flair's book last week. That was 2004 that came out. This is 2006. Of course, Foley's book came out all the way back in 1999. So Flair had been saving a receipt for Foley for years for what he had written about him back in 99. I assume they wanted to get to this earlier. Like, I think they put... I think they had Flair put the shots at Foley in the book, set up a match between them, probably for WrestleMania 21. But I think Mick got so mad about it that they couldn't do it. Because him and Flair have a real fight in late 2004 when Mick, I don't even remember why Mick was around at that point, what he was doing, but they have a fight backstage on Raw in 2004. Uh, Foley asked Flair to sign a copy of his book for charity and Flair offered Foley a handshake and Mick refused to shake his hand, so Flair punched him in the face.
1: I mean, look, these are two incredibly overly sensitive men. We like have gigantic egos and like think that they're always in the right that's just what this is right these two men are probably more like each other than either would like to admit
0: yeah the thing about flair punching people i've heard bischoff talk about the time flair attacked him backstage and describe it as basically flair was throwing working punches i'm not sure rick flair knows how to throw a real punch
1: anymore I'm also just not sure that, like, Ric Flair means this seriously. You know what I mean? Like, I always wondered if there was some element of trying to work the boys with all of this. Sure. Could well be. Because, like, this is all built on some dumb shit. Like, something that Flair said in passing when he was the head booker back in, like, 1993— Like, I don't think there's any real heat from Flair. Why would he give a shit? Like, I don't know. So
0: all the way, yeah, all the way back in WCW, there were a couple incidents that Nick really harbored and wrote about him in his book. So there's the one Flair chewed his ass out when Foley spat on the WCW title at an ECW, the WCW tag title in an ECW show, which of course he did, Mick. You can't do that. Like you can't bury the promotion you're working for and expect that
1: it's not going to come back on you. And even in the book, Mick says after he explained it to Rick, Rick was like, well, all right, I still don't like it, though. which (laughs) is a reasonable response. That means he listened to you. And then there's the other one where, I don't know, Flair just
0: blew up on him at some point and was like, nobody cares about you. You keep wrestling like that. You're going to end up on a in a wheelchair. I feel like what Flair was trying to say there was like, Mick these people are not going to pay your medical bills when you
1: end up in a wheelchair. And I think he was also trying to say, like, get over, then do the big thing to make money. You're just doing yeah. the big thing, and no one's paying you.
0: No one cares. Like you take those horrible concrete bombs, got power bombed on concrete by
1: Vader, to no reaction because it didn't matter. Whereas, like, if you look at Ric Flair, Ric Flair has done shit in his career that's every bit as fucked up as things that Mick Foley has done. Including this match. Weirdly, weirdly (laughs) most of them this year, 2006, when he just somehow got a taste for death matches. But that's the thing. is like, he comes up at it from the other end. Everyone cares about Ric Flair, so now he can start doing death match bullshit, and it makes sense because people give a shit.
0: So, Flair wrote in his book... Foley has a cult following because of his contribution to hardcore wrestling, but hardcore is such a small part of the history of this business. When I was training, falling off a ladder was not a prerequisite to making it as a professional wrestler. I don't care how many thumbtacks Mick Foley has fallen on, how many ladders he's fallen off of, how many continents he's supposedly bled on. He'll always be known as a glorified stunt
1: man. That's stiff, but again, I think this was supposed to set up a program. And yet, Mick, the most sensitive man in the world, gets in his fucking feelings. Yeah. He's so – he was so mad. Not really even a flair at Vince. He felt so betrayed
0: by Vince. That is like the beginning of the end, and there's a bunch more incidents along the way. But he just has this weird thing with Vince where for some reason he thinks Vince is a good guy
1: and is so hurt every time Vince fucks him over. Every – if you really take a look at Mick Foley's, like, books that he wrote – Look at the people that he admires greatly and really think about it from those people's perspective. (sighs) Because like Vince doesn't give a shit about Mick Foley except for what he can make him. Like He would like Mick Foley not to die. Maybe Vince is even a good enough person to feel bad about the times Mick Foley almost does die. Mick Foley is not his friend. That is not in his inner circle. He's not even in the top 10 guys on the roster that Vince is thinking about at any given time. But Mick, like, imagines this father-son relationship between them that doesn't exist. Same with Terry Funk. Real daddy issues going on there. Yeah. Terry Funk has never thought about Mick Foley for more than 30 fucking seconds.
0: Oh, and Mick just thinks they have this incredible connection and he was Funk's successor and all these things. And yet Terry Funk does not think Mick
1: Foley is anywhere near his level. And here's the thing, he's not. Because Terry Funk, like, is not a mark. He does not think that being king of the death matches is what his whole career was made for. just the way he made some fucking money. Well, Terry Funk was a great wrestling NWA champion back in the 70s. That's just a part of his career that nobody remembers. It's literally the exact same thing as if, like, John Morrison came up to Ric Flair during his death match era and was just like, man like you rick i'm gonna be a death match wrestler too and he rick would be like why <laughs> that's terry <laughs> funk being like i'm just an old man trying to get a paycheck why are you worshiping this so flash forward two years and we're gonna have this feud
0: the weird thing is foley has turned heel On the way into One Night Stand, he turned on Tommy Dreamer and aligned himself with Edge. This is part of what Foley thought was this brilliant storyline idea that's leading to an angle where Mick will try to make Terry Funk kiss Vince's ass and Terry Funk will instead bite Vince's ass. And Mick thinks this is the greatest
1: storyline idea he's ever come up with. This is why some people just shouldn't be allowed to just sit at home for long periods of time thinking about stuff. Because every bit of this idea is fucking stupid. From step by step (sighs) by step. What would Edge conceivably have to do with any of this? Why? Nobody knows who Terry Funk even is anymore. Why are we doing this? (laughs) No one cares about Tommy Dreamer.
0: And Mick, like Mick turning heel at this point is a pretty dubious idea to begin with. But to blow your heel turn on a storyline with Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer is unhinged. If you're gonna turn heel,
1: turn heel on John Cena. Yeah, this is pretty clearly the last heel run <gasps> he's ever going to be allowed to get. And so and Vince gives him maybe Vince does have a soft spot for Mick, because he gives him complete Straight autonomy up. to come up with this stroke here. Yeah. He Enough gives rope him to hang himself. He gives him edge who is like one of the top stars in the company at this point to do this shit with. But is Mick going to get a rub off of edge? No, edge is going to get to show Mick up in his own storyline. So Vince eventually
0: decided he didn't want to do the getting his ass bit by Terry Funk thing because he felt like it would mess up his feud with DX, which like, I actually kind of, I see Vince's point
1: there that he probably shouldn't be getting involved in this other thing at this point. No, and if DX's whole thing is trying to get to Vince, having some completely unrelated person do yeah. it would like completely kill that. That made Mick so angry. He
0: lost his damn mind because Vince wouldn't do that. He felt like One Night Stand was ruined, that it was going to be the biggest flop ever because what people were really going to buy the show for was his match with Terry Funk, not John
1: Cena versus RVD. And you know what the funny thing is? Is that, like, a Mick Heel run where he helps Vince fight DX could have made some money. Like... It makes a, sense that he'd be better at Triple H. Triple H retired him. Yes. Like, I don't want to see DX come back. You guys are fucking assholes. Do people it's not remember? Joke. Yeah. Vince McMahon's the one who keeps us at in, in work. And you're just mocking him every day? Like, he pays my kids bills. Fuck you. <laughs> Like, Mick and Big Show versus DX is actually, like, a match. Like, they never actually get a real match out of this DX thing. So maybe that would have been something. And then the Flair feud just
0: starts. The night after One Night Stand, Mick is doing a promo, and Flair just interrupts him and is like, hey, I've been waiting years to get a piece of you, buddy. I got some things to get off my chest. And they proceed to have a pretty good feud where they fire off some real good promos at each other, but... Again, Mick has this thing that he wants to put Melina in the middle of it because apparently him and Melina are friends and he wants to help Melina get over. And he's got this whole story where they're going to make him and Melina such good friends in life. But then he's gonna are on screen, but then, then he's going to have to kiss Vince's ass to save Melina's job. But then she's going to turn on him. It's such a stupid idea. It is just Mick and Melina like Are they actually friends in real life? I don't know. Mick says they are, but also (laughs) it seems like
1: I've never heard of them spending any time since this. Have you? No. So as the way I see it, there are three possibilities here and they're differing levels of interesting. There's the most boring option, which is that they actually just are friends. And Mick Foley's a big weirdo who gave up his only shot at like an actual like run in order to try to put her over for no particular reason, as a babyface, even though she's not one, and then whatever. Option two, Mick Foley and Melina are having sex. Gross. but that is like that's. I'm not the first person to suggest that that may possibly have been the case, but there's really no evidence to that, right? Aside from the fact that he just, out of the blue, decides to do this. Yeah. Option C is my favorite, which is that Mick Foley really badly wants to have yeah. sex with Melina, Meanwhile, Batista actually is having sex with Molina, which I'm shocked that I'm shocked Mick wasn't like, oh, I should have a feud with Batista over the fact that him and Molina are together. Yes. By the way, I want to make a, a big allegedly here, because everything, uh, everything about this Batista, Molina Mick situation, like people have been sued for talking about this before, apparently. <laughs> hmm. So, like, let's not say crazy things. Uh But anyway, like, I do find that to be by far the most interesting possibility. (laughs) Flair, at one point,
0: points out the ludicrousness of them being quote-unquote friends. He's like, what, you're going around with a woman like that, claiming she's your friend? He's like, hey, hey honey, you, 15 years ago, you and me all night long? Which is gross, but at least Ric
1: Flair's honest about who he is. Yeah. I respect that. Ric Flair... There's something about this that has reignited Flair because he hasn't actually been passionate like this in a while.
0: It's like he got a taste of his own blood and he liked it. It just yeah, he's gone wild here and I love it. I love this version of Ric Flair. Now it's very if you're gonna do a feud between Mick Foley and Ric Flair, it's very weird to have Mick Foley be the heel in it and Ric
1: Flair be the baby face. That I think is totally backwards. Well the funny thing is is that as this match progresses that we're about to get yeah. to, what no, winds up no. happening is that they both are heels. <laughs>
0: Yeah. The this the finish to this match is really, really stupid. And we'll talk about what I think are maybe some of the psychoanalytic motivations behind that when we get
1: there. Um, yeah, but, but even in the build to this, like I don't think Flair's really the baby face here. Like I don't really think you could say that there is one. No. Rick Flair's pretty unlikable scumbag on the way in here too, but so is McFoley. Yeah. There's nobody good. The face they're trying to build is Molina, and then they're gonna have him her betray Mick anyway. So like everyone yeah. here's a shithead. And then Ric
0: Flair is just going. Flair is going to go into a feud with Carlito for the Intercontinental Title
1: after this, as if none of this ever happened. He but just pretty quickly washes his hands of this whole situation. But that's beautiful, too, because then Vince is just like, oh, man, Flair's getting a little feral here. Uh, Maybe direct some of that at Carlito, see if you can get something out of him. And that's when he cuts (laughs) that promo like, you motherfucker, you've got no heart. Ah!
0: (sighs) So before we get to the lightning round, uh, Kurt Angle is winding his time down with WWE as he's horribly addicted to painkillers and going absolute crazy. We've, of course, talked extensively about that when we covered him going to TNA and a bunch of other times, but that's just looming in the background of this show. He's not on it because he's going to be released uh, five days after this show. The earthquake that is in pro wrestling when Kurt Angle is just... Flat
1: out released from his contract and can go wrestle wherever he wants right away. It's wild to think it's almost six years to the day that he debuted, I think. And, or is it seven years? Is it 99 he debuts? 99. Yeah. yeah. It's only seven years. When you think about like the number of guys just on the roster today, I think Sheamus has been there like 14 years at this point. Yeah. It's, it's like 08, 09. Yeah, like Kurt Angle's whole don't career, 15 years, yeah. A- as people understand it, is basically over now because most people don't watch him in TNA. So this is it; those seven years, that was it. It's over. <sighs> all right, can you believe we're gonna do a lightning round after all that? I can't believe, like, we only talked about in ring shit for that. I can't imagine what else is going on. <laughs>
0: Raw, the Spirit Squad, defeated Jim Duggan, Eugene, Viscera, Snitsky, and Val Venus in a 10-man tag match.
1: And if you're thinking, is that the wildest team ever assembled? Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) The Highlanders made their main roster debut. God, this was like the year of like jabronis debuting. It was like the Heartbreakers, the Spirit Squad, like the Highlanders. They've tried to build a tag division out of just these wild, weird gimmick dudes they brought up from OVW, and none of them got over. A
0: segment aired in which Triple H got a blowjob out in the arena parking lot, and also Candice Michelle had oral sex performed on her by a woman
1: under the table. That's right. It wasn't Candice Michelle performing the oral sex. They were both getting oral sex together from different women. (sighs) with some weird shit and then they were and my favorite part about those angles would sean would have like he had clearly agreed with vince ahead of time yeah. you will not do this shit while i'm on camera yeah. like i will not have my you, kids seeing me be part of this
0: not have any part of this
1: so literally he has to be like oh no the barbecue's on fire and wander off screen so that yeah. triple h can get his dicks up <laughs>
0: Test returned as a member of the ECW roster.
1: I can't imagine a worse insult to ECW fans than having to watch Test. Test? Do you remember seeing Test for the first time when he came back here? Yeah, like, and I was horrified at how, like, steroided up he was. It was bad. It's not okay just to accuse everybody who's muscular being on steroids. It's pretty fucked up. But this... It's as if the Thank exact same—if you just took his normal body and just added, like, six gallons of steroids to it. It was rough, man.
0: CM Punk debuted on ECW. I
1: was not a huge fan of this initial CM Punk. He kind of sucked. <laughs> I had been waiting for so long for him to debut. <laughs> I was his biggest fan on the yeah. indies. I followed him all through OVW during the Brent Albright feud and all of that stuff. Dude, I was hyped. And when he first comes out, and I was just like, what is he doing? All this MMA bullshit. He's a peppy baby face. I he did not it. care. He's addicted for to it. competition. I'm an addict. I'm addicted to competition. Ugh. He does not have a moment worth doing until, like, uh, he slaps Shannon Moore in the face in the greatest segment of all time.
0: Undertaker and Great Khali's Last Man Standing match, which had been announced to take place here at SummerSlam, instead took place on
1: SmackDown so that they could edit it. Thank God. This is a pretty good card top to bottom. If it had that match on it, I would think very differently about this show. Ric Flair wrestled Big
0: Show in an Extreme Rules match that included Flair taking a bump on Thumbtacks.
1: This match kicked so much ass. Like, someday, if we, like, do seasons like that again, like, we should really do one where we can talk in full about Big Show's renaissance and and how, like, these Big Show hardcore matches are unbelievable. Yeah, somehow
0: it turns out this was his call and was the extreme giant. But we only get
1: just fundamentally knew how to book him better than Vince did. But, like, and you could see how motivated he was by it and how fu- much fun he had with it. Taking these, like, little dudes and just, like, turning them into dirt. He invents his new finisher where it's just a cobra clutch where he just lifts yeah. you and spins you back and forth like you're in a car wash and then just deposits you. God, so. An episode of ECW from the Hammerstein Ballroom was main evented by Big Show vs. Batista. This did not go over well. This is the one where the fans chant changed the channel. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And then, after the cameras turned off, Batista and Big Show
0: acted like they were going to fight, but instead then they hugged each other and they both flipped off the crowd and walked in the back
1: together. Because Batista's the greatest heel of our time. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh. Aurora McMahon-Levac was born Monday, July 24th, causing Triple H and Vince to miss that episode of Raw. Stephanie went into labor in the afternoon, and they had to rewrite the whole show on the fly.
1: Isn't it fascinating to you that, like, we haven't seen that person on television yet? Like, she's got to be, like, what? She's, like, uh, 17 I mean, this now, was 2006, yeah? so, yeah, she's 17. She's...
0: I don't know. When did, uh, Shane, God, Shane was showing up when he was like 15. Shane started
1: refereeing matches when he was like 15 or something. Yeah. And I'm not saying she's going to get involved in the wrestling business or anything, but we've like never even seen like Triple H and Stephanie, like at a benefit with their kids or anything like that just doesn't happen. (laughs)
0: Mark Henry tore his patella in a six-man tag match on Saturday night's main event. For some reason, this Mark Henry-Batista match was just cursed, and anytime they got booked against each other, one of them would get hurt.
1: This really seemed like the end for Mark Henry, didn't it? Yeah. Like, this year where they just couldn't get that match in the ring, it really feels like I thought they were just going to release him and be done with it, and then he just kind of floated around for a while until suddenly Hall of Pain happened.
0: The Great American Bash pay-per-view was marred by a number of wrestlers having to miss the card due to, quote, elevated liver
1: enzymes. I still, to this day, don't understand what the fuck that means or could mean or what. I believe it's a sign sign that you're on steroids, is my understanding. But, like, we're talking about half the card misses it. So basically it's like, hey, um, the entire fucking roster like failed a piss test what do we do yeah jeff hardy came back to wwe after spending the previous few years in tna i was worried for him when he came back because he wasn't doing very well in tna he still seemed pretty fucked up and so i was like oh he's gonna get back on the road and it's gonna be horrible turns out this is the run of his lifetime right here yeah
0: in an interview on Regis and Kathy, Hogan said that Andre the Giant weighed 700 pounds and that Hogan <laughs> tore all the muscles in his back when he
1: slammed him. You know, everybody mocks Hulk Hogan for, like, these ridiculous exaggerations. I kind of love him, though. Isn't He's it fun? He's He's the GOAT. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, make your shit sound larger than life, man. Okay, here's another reason Hogan's the GOAT. Hogan no-showed an episode of Raw in
0: which all the wrestlers were drug tested. That dude gets it.
1: The idea that you were going to tell Hogan no to taking steroids. (laughs) It's like fucking 60 years old trying to work a match with Randy Orton on the other side. Hogan heard the piss man was coming and he heard his back (laughs) moving furniture. He wasn't playing that game. It's the funniest thing to me, because, like, at Hogan's point, you imagine he's, like, friends with the piss man. He's just like, hey, uh, let me know when you're in town, brother, and maybe I'll just feel sick that day.
0: I can't believe they were actually going to drug test Hogan.
1: Like, that's absurd. That's like drug testing Vince. Like, what are we doing? Come on.
0: (laughs) Come on, man. Uh, Hogan also claimed he blew out his knee in the match he won the WWF title from the Iron Sheik.
1: I just love the idea that he's, like, painted these things that he knows not that many people can see anymore. Yeah. Like, no one ever watched the match with the Sheik. You can see whatever the fuck you want about it. The Impact Zone caught fire during a TNA pay-per-view. <laughs> This gave us some great moments, including, like, because all of the guys had to improvise for, like, a full hour while they put the fire out, and it was just Tanay and, like, Jeremy Borash running around backstage trying to find anyone who would talk. Guys clearly have not prepared promos, and you really got a chance to see who's good on their feet and who's not. Samoa Joe— It was Joe, like the
0: WrestleMania
1: rain delay. Yeah. Samoa Joe, very bad. Monty Brown cuts a legendary promo— where he forgets what he's talking about halfway through and declares that Samoa Joe is half hippo, half elephant, a hippo fan. He got him. Zing.
0: (laughs) And finally, the hammer. This is kind of cheating because it didn't happen back then, but it relates to something on this show. Mick Foley recently dropped a tidbit on his podcast that he sometimes loses feeling in his dick and balls.
1: First of all, I'm so happy that we get a chance to talk about Mick Foley's dick and balls on this show. Second of all, oh, God. Boys and girls, please don't take bumps on concrete. Yeah, it's both
0: like, why would you tell us that? And also, like, do you think that makes him reflect
1: on the choices he made with his career? I would imagine so. I... I sincerely hope that didn't come as a huge disappointment to Melina on some special night, but, like, oh. I, I just, I don't know, man. Like, his whole life just so depressing. For a person with, like, beautiful, loving kids and, like, a wonderful <laughs> wife, and, like, he has maybe the most depressing life I've ever heard of.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Why did he get it in his head that he wasn't good enough? That a guy who looked like him could—I think it was just because he k- grew up watching the WWF—and a guy like a guy with his physique, guys like, with his physique didn't become stars in the WWF. Well, that's the thing but too. Like, is like in other places, guys who looked like him would become stars. He's not—it's not like he's tiny.
1: He's six-three. And they kind of concocted this idea over time that like it was that he was like ugly, and that's why he couldn't get over. Meanwhile, like. Dude's like Bruiser Brody and fuckers are like drawn mad money across the world. It's not that Mick Foley was too ugly. He certainly wasn't too small. He's like 6'2". Like he's like a giant and dude. M- much taller than I actually realized because I always picture him hunched over. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that like I think he thought he wanted – well, he wanted to be Sean. Like we've talked about that, but like that it was – history. be that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not that level of heartthrob. Sorry. But, like, again, apparently Mick Foley was slaying the ladies on the Indies in the 90s, uh, by all accounts. So, I mean, got me, man. So to get into the
0: show, it's Sunday, August the 26th. We're at the TD Garden Arena in Boston, Massachusetts. Place is sold out. They're hanging from the rafters. Over 16,000 in attendance. The show does 529,000 buys. Pretty good on its face. It's down quite the previous year. Did six hundred and fifty thousand, but that was main evented by Hogan versus sean
1: I don't think it's any shame that they couldn't match that number. No, five hundred thousand is a great number for this time. Yeah. Like there weren't they weren't doing numbers like that. No, I mean
0: we did the Summer Slam from 04 last week, and that barely did three hundred thousand buys. So up a lot from that one, and. On commentary, everyone in the world. We got Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, Michael Cole, JBL, Joey Stein, and Taz. Man, every time I do one of these shows from when JBL was first starting out, I'm reminded he was a great commentator at first.
1: Before he gets bored and becomes like Foghorn Leghorn, basically, like he was just really, really good. Like he was so into it. He had clearly like spent time doing research and coming up yeah. with like good lines and shit.
0: In the dark match, Carlito defeated Rob Conway.
1: Wow. Yeah. You think he's still coming out to? Just look at me.
0: <laughs> I, when, when, was the, when was the Rob
1: Conway push? Was that two thousand five. When was the uh, May, or what was that Kane thing with the date? That was like May 19th or something like that. May
0: 19th. That was this year. May 19th was this
1: year. Then this is the Rob Conway push. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Opening promo just kind of runs through all the big matches
0: we've got tonight, and there's a lot of them. I'd say there's any of five matches could have been invented here, I feel like. I feel like you could have put... Absolutely, you could have Cena and edge did go on last. You could have put Booker and Batista on last if Batista was going to win the title. Uh, you could have put Foley and Flair on last. You could have put DX against the McMahons on last. And you definitely you probably should have put Hogan
1: versus Orton on last. I think it should have been either Hogan Orton, or DX because those are the only two like happy endings here because the Heels yeah. win both of the title matches, so and sort those of makes sense. Got the biggest reactions. Oh, yeah.
0: Opening match, we've got Rey Mysterio versus Chavo Guerrero. Chavo turned on Rey and cost him the world title against Booker back at the Great American Bash. He explained he was sick of Rey exploiting Eddie's legacy when Chavo was his actual family. Honestly, a pretty fair point. If this my is my really... uncle who was more like if my uncle who was more like my brother died and then some other dude started like
1: making that the whole basis of his character, I'd be pretty pissed off myself. Oh, God. Yeah. If you guys don't remember, the, the run oh. to Rey Mysterio at WrestleMania was some of the most heinous exploitation I've ever seen. And like, look, I know that Rey was very close to Eddie. As was Javo, as was everybody involved here. So, like, I don't really want to hold that grudge against Rey. But, like, the degree to which Rey Mysterio just became Eddie Guerrero by proxy was pretty fucked up.
0: Ray gives his necklace to a little girl in the front row
1: during his entrance, and I don't think I've ever seen someone this excited. Like, that little girl's life has been made. I bet you she still has it.
0: Cole says that Chavo has been a leech preying on the Guerrero name
1: since day one. Fuck you, Cole. I mean, it's true, but you don't have to say it. (laughs) I feel like that was a little stiff for the babyface announcer. That's what I'm saying. Cole was a little weird tonight. JBL would constantly be, like, feeding him lines, and Cole just kind of wouldn't get it. And then, like, Cole was, like, real on fire about Chavo here.
0: JBL said he had to have extra security at his wedding in case Eddie fell off the wagon.
1: Whoa. What are we <laughs> I don't doing? Know. I
0: don't know about that one. <laughs> I was just putting over JBL. That, w- that was a misstep though.
1: JBL keeps going back to the line over and over that he has known three generations of Guerreros, which I'm sure is true. And that they're all despicable assholes who constantly <laughs> fight each other. Well, not wrong. Yeah, but like what what are we doing here, guys? Like what are we trying to portray here? They also How? say that Chavo came out of retirement for this match. What? He did. He did. He announced he was so he got a shot
0: against Shelton Benjamin for the Intercontinental title on Raw and he lost and he said he was retiring afterward. But it was it was all just it was just a story. Like, he was gonna go into retirement and then fuck over, right? Oh, okay. I got it. Um, how do you think they should have worked this match? I would have loved to just see them have a loot match here, but I don't know that that would have really fit the storyline that they felt the need to do
1: more of a brawl. Here's the thing, and I think this is what they found with Ray over the years Ray can't do brawls, he's yeah. just not capable of it. It's not in his skill set. A no. man that so- small can't effectively punch people. <laughs> I think you can make a story work here where Chavo's just like,
0: I'm going to show you that I'm the true, you know, Mexican superstar. I'm the true air Eddie's legacy and have them go out and try to have a classic like Guerrero versus Mysterio
1: match. I would have loved it if they had tried to like do some of like the Halloween Havoc stuff. So it's almost <laughs> like a mirror of that. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know that Chavo could have done it, man. Chavo was not Eddie. No one is, but especially not Chavo. Though so the funny thing is, Chavo and Ray have great chemistry of their own. Like, they really could have done something that probably would have torn the house down. But that's not what we get here. We get, like, a half-assed brawl with a bunch of Man. Vicky Guerrero interference, which is what nobody wanted.
0: Ray is the 619, and it sounded like he got a lot
1: of booze. Here's the other thing, too. They have booked Ray in the most impossibly him. shitty way over the last couple of months. He wins the belt, and they immediately start having him get his fucking ass whooped by every monster on every the roster week. every week. Every week. His, it's not even competitive. He just gets buried, 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 got buried.
0: Destroyed by Khali, by Henry, by
1: Kane. Just got humiliated week after week. He beat JBL in a match. But, like, that's JBL. That's not credible. And then he gets fucked by Booker and loses. And, like, that's that's his title reign, guys. That's his peak. So Vicky comes out. She slaps Chavo.
0: Ray then sets up for a frog splash. But Vicky accidentally, quote-unquote, shakes the ropes and trips him. Chavo then th- hits the three amigos in the frog splash. It was a decent match, didn't really click. Um, I do like that they had Chava like having Chava win because of Vicky's, you know, kind of ambiguous interference was probably a good way to go because it gives you some gives you a next chapter in the story that we get to ask like, did Vicky intent was that an accident or did she intentionally screw
1: Ray over? Here's the thing. If you go back to this point and you had asked me what I thought about this storyline, I probably would have been like, This is so fucking stupid. Where could this possibly go? Little do I know that La Familia is where this winds up, which is the best thing that ever happened on SmackDown in its history. Yeah, and that heel Vicky
0: Guerrero will turn out to be one of the great heel characters of all
1: time. I don't think any of us could have even begun to suspect any of that. (laughs) That she and Edge will be the power couple of this era.
0: We go backstage to King Booker and Charmell... Edge and Lita interrupt saying they're the most powerful couple in sports entertainment. Edge says he'll bitch slap Cena just like he bitch slapped his dad and the Yankees are bitch slapped Red Sox this season.
1: It's a great line.
0: Love these crossover segments. These were always a ton of fun.
1: They make an agreement that if Edge retains and Booker loses, Edge has to come be his servant, which feels a little questionable. And if Booker retains an edgeless, he has to come and kiss Booker's feet. Obviously, neither. That's not what's going to happen tonight. Thank God. Uh, But this is a great segment. Let's also take a moment to be like, let's talk about King Booker in this role. It's a miracle. (laughs) So goofy, but they pull it off. Booker T has always been in on the joke. People always make fun of him like, he's he's such a fucking idiot. He sounds so stupid all the time. Booker knows what he's doing, okay? Booker T is not a stupid man. (laughs)
0: Like, I love how he does the British accent until somebody gets him mad and then he just breaks into his normal voice. He can't keep it up anymore.
1: (laughs) King Booker! At some point during a podcast, I'm going to hit you with the, what did you say, squire? (laughs) which always had me fucking rolling next up
0: for the ECW title. We've got the big show defending against Sabu in an extreme rules match. Um, Sabu beat RVD in a ladder match on ECW to earn the title shot. Big show interfered and he tried to grab the contract for himself, but Sabu cut him off and then managed to grab the contract. as big show was about to power bomb. Him.
1: That was a really good spot. Like, yeah, that was very creative.
0: So I feel like somebody recently revealed on a podcast that Sabu said he would intentionally sometimes botch spots just to make things more realistic. Absolutely. Do you think he intentionally botched every spot he
1: did in this match? Or was that, were those all accidents? Don't you feel bad for him a little bit? Like maybe uh, he meant to botch one, but like yeah. here's he the can't thing with hit Sabu. anything tonight. So Sabu is a slot machine, right? You pull the trigger and you don't know what you're gonna get. That match he had with Cena on Raw, where everything was crisp and perfect, you're like, why isn't this man in the WrestleMania main event? He's the greatest wrestler who ever lived. Oh my god!
0: And And then you get this match,
1: and you're like, oh right, that's why.
0: (laughs) Like every single spot he tries to do here, botch or the timing's horrible, and Big Show's just standing around waiting for him to hit him. Big Show looks like an asshole. pissed off like he's just like big show was like i'm supposed to be the monster heel champion here and i just look like a joke waiting around for this guy to hit me
1: yep
0: so yeah uh big show did a vader bomb here that was scary
1: big show starts br- i don't know what it is about this maybe Heyman suggested it maybe show just wanted to do it himself big show breaks out like a whole new bunch of offense in this ecw yeah. champion role and it's the offense he always should have been using. Big Show doing a Vader bomb is the most credible finisher I've ever seen. Yeah, that Cobra and Sabu takes it. He actually hit it. He didn't miss it. Yeah, that, that Cobra, Cobra clutch, clutch, power clutch
0: backbreaker is so cool. He just swings the
1: guy around and slams him down on his knee. Like it looks like it breaks people for real. Like this is like Bane breaking Batman's back. This is this is like nasty shit.
0: Uh, the finish comes when Sabu tries to do a DDT through a table, but Choke catches him and Choke slams him through the table to pin him. I mean, I was shitting on Sabu, but this was still a pretty fun match.
1: As I told my wife while we were watching this, there's something about Sabu matches, man. They don't have to be good. They're you just have an to, But you can't look away. Yeah. yeah. It's not always a car crash. Sometimes it's a spectacle, but it's always something.
0: They recap Layla winning the search. Yes, this was still going on. This is the one where the Miz was the host. And while everybody shit on him, he was much better at it than Jonathan Coach, man. Well, so would
1: anyone have been, honestly. But
0: the key is the Miz hanging out with hot women doesn't seem weird. Whereas with Coach, he just seems like a skeezy old dude.
1: Yeah, he seems like the creep that the office assigned to, like, leer at them.
0: Here, Layla walks into the women's locker room and everybody like gives her the cold shoulder and talks trash to her. And then they drag her into the shower and soak her in cold water and pull up her skirt and
1: spank her. Here's the thing. There's a version of this like that is actually just kind of a nice segment. If they just ended it with... Like, Trish, like, hounding her and being like, you really think you're a diva? You really think you're a diva just because you want a contest? And then they get to, like, Ashley Massaro, and they're just like, well, she just, oh, I guess she won a contest, too. Never mind, yeah. don't worry about her. <laughs> and then they just been like, psych, actually, welcome to the team. That's a perfectly yeah, that fine w- thing. That wouldn't have been nearly horny enough. Yeah, that's the thing. What makes this part of horny slam is that for some reason they take her in the shower and for, like, three minutes to just shove <sighs> a water nozzle up her asshole. And, I like, what are we doing? why living out somebody's fantasy it, it's very clearly like they got a direction from johnny ace off screen like well that was Ooh. good but maybe you could all just go get naked and make out in the shower and you just Cover feel for, like you feel for, like trish in that right like what are you like you're you're a legend why are you here the
0: announcers let us know that Cobra Style by Teddy Bears is our theme song tonight.
1: Oh, good. Cobra Style by Teddy Bears. I love <laughs> that one.
0: All right. Next up, we got the GOAT, Hulk Hogan versus Randy Orton. Uh, it's really early in the show for this to be going on. Maybe Hogan wanted to get back to the hotel and get some room service. Oh, yeah,
1: Absolutely. Like, you imagine it was the main event, but like after the big show match, he goes to Vince and and is like, hey, I don't want to watch anymore of well. this crap ass show. Can, <laughs> like, Can I just go back to the hotel now, please?
0: Oh, yeah. Hogan was heading straight back to the hotel when this one was over
1: and getting himself a porterhouse. He's sitting back there discussing the match with Randy and sees like Brooke eyeing him. He's just like, hmm, got to get her uh-huh. back to the room. <laughs> I don't know about this. this.
0: Show. This feud really represents the fears the, the the crisis of masculinity in the American man I feel like the fear that a man who looks like Randy Orton is going to become interested in your daughter. And also that this younger, more muscular, more handsome man is going to replace you. But because this is pro wrestling, of course, the pot bellied middle-aged man is going to beat up the younger, handsome man and teach him a lesson and put him in his place. And that's what makes pro wrestling
1: great. This is like the dream feud for every guy who's just like, yeah. oh, I'm going to have my shotgun out when my girl brings her new boyfriend home. Like, uh, settle the fuck down. That's creepy as shit. Stop, like, sexualizing your daughter that way. But also, like, it's Randy Orton, though. Like, <laughs> he is a ski dickhead. You should want him dating your daughter. If, you're, if your daughter brought home Randy Dude, Orton, no. you would. you should shoot him, honestly. <laughs> Nothing good's going to happen.
0: The pop for Hogan here was ridiculous. Like you would have thought this was the Boston garden in 1985 and he was working on top with Bundy with the pop. He got here.
1: Yeah. Let's remember. He hasn't been gone for years. He literally wrestled last SummerSlam.
0: wrestled yeah. slam
1: last year. He's old as shit. The storyline's not hot, but this crowd is just like, we care about Hogan and nothing else.
0: Yeah. Hogan can be, he's in rough shape. He can barely walk here.
1: The biggest underdog moment of this entire night is when he actually hits the leg drop. I was expecting an axe bomber to finish this one. I
0: I didn't know. He, yeah, I wasn't sure he could do the leg drop. I I mean, two weeks before this match, it seemed like it was up in the air whether it was going to happen. Hogan was, I don't know. They, on Raw, they said that Hogan like wasn't going to appear because he had hurt his hurt himself moving furniture or something. His horse was sick. I don't know. Actually, I guess the Piss Man was coming. Is that raw?
1: Yep. Uh, piss Man's coming, brother. Sorry. Can't make that one. Uh,
0: weirdly, Hogan spends a lot of this match beating Horton's ass. That's a thing. <laughs> I think I... it's because he, he probably couldn't. I don't think he could bump, so he has to get most of the offense in. Didn't this match desperately need a weight belt spot? Yes. If any heel has ever needed to be beaten with Hogan's weight belt, it's Randy Orton.
1: It's just so funny, because do you think Randy bumped into Sean backstage and Sean was like, look, you going to be doing <laughs> some bumps tonight, brother. <laughs> yeah. There ain't nothing. No, there's not going to be another way to get through it. Just fucking take the bumps, eat the leg drop and cash your paycheck.
0: So Orton takes over the match by going after Hogan's bad knees. And then he hits the RKO and gets the one, two, three, which it happened. And I was like, wait, I don't remember Orton (laughs) winning this match. (laughs) That's That's not what I remember happening here. Turned out Hogan got his foot on the ropes. Hogan apparently insisted they do the false finish. He wanted to give Randy the visual pin. Good on Hogan.
1: That is nice because he could have just not taken that RKO at all.
0: He sure as shit never did that for Orton's old man. He beat his ass every single time they wrestled.
1: Sorry, brother. I'm not taking that superplex. You're just taking the leg drop one, two, three tonight. Yeah. Though maybe uh, he was just like, oh, uh, hottest finisher in the business, huh? Sure would like to kick out of that, brother.
0: But he did it. I mean, he got his foot on the rope. But yeah, right. it's just like, I'm. Just, it's so ingrained in me that Hogan gets hit with a finisher and he kicks out at two, that I like literally gasped when the three count happened.
1: How funny would it have been? It would have been the greatest moment in wrestling history if, or- if Orton just hits him with the RKO two minutes in and pins Hulk Hogan in front of the SummerSlam crowd. It would have been like, it almost would have been like Undertaker losing to Lesnar. It would have just been yeah, like shot. I
0: mean, that was kind of how I felt when it happened, because I'm like, I, I was just like, wait, Hogan didn't lose this match, did he? Anyway, uh, Hogan halts up, he hits the big boot, leg drop, and pins Orton and it was a better match than I expected. I thought it was going to be a train wreck, and it was just fine. It got probably the best heat of the night. Hogan would have another falling out with Vince when he got his payoff for this show, and it was way smaller than he was expecting, but... As it's explained, it's not the eighties anymore. But as Hogan pointed out, he got the biggest reaction of anybody on this show. It wasn't even
1: close. And in yeah. fact, you could probably argue that he drew the house too. Like this gets five hundred thousand buys. Does it get that many without Hogan? I don't fucking no, think it does.
0: I don't think so. What else was what else was drawing here? What else yeah. what else on this show was special? It's all rematches.
1: We've proven that Edge and Cena, despite the fact that we love it and it's a great feud, aside from that one rating they pop, like it's not, not actually a, a great draw. feud in terms of drawing power.
0: Nobody was watching SmackDown, so Batista Booker wasn't drawing the house. Foley and Flair, it's a rematch. Nobody cares about McFoley. McFoley's not special by this
1: point. And we've proven definitively that no one pays to see Vince McMahon wrestle under any yeah. circumstances.
0: Uh, Hogan poses, and then he's like, there's a guy in the front row with a giant Hogan back test. Yes! Hogan goes up and slaps the guy's back and poses with him. That was fun.
1: This is the wildest shit I've ever seen. Like, you gotta. So, like, a couple of years from now, Hulk Hogan's gonna mainly be remembered for two things. One of which, having a sex tape where he, like, cheats, like, has sex with his best friend's wife. And the other one being um, saying the N-word notably many, repeatedly. Many times, yeah. How do you feel about having a giant back tattoo of that man <laughs> after that? Nope, I bet the guy's just fine with it. I mean, if you make some like slight alterations, it could be a Barry Windham tattoo. <laughs> that would be
0: much weirder. <laughs> so, unbelievably, this is Hogan's last WWE match. Uh, he wrestles rick flair on that australia tour and he wrestled a few times in tna but never never laces him up again in wwe that's as weird as that is it's just wrong it just feels after this they should have gone to him and been like okay like what do you want your retirement match to be like let's do one last big match in Detroit this year at WrestleMania, like, sight of your greatest triumph. Let's, you know, do one last match 20 years later. What do you think he would have wanted? I don't know. Do you think he would have wanted to put over Cena, or would you maybe do him against Big Show to kind of redo the thing with Andre? Like, I, I don't know what the right move is.
1: There isn't really like an up and coming babyface other than Cena, but you feel like you yeah. need Cena for something else. You can't just put him in the Hogan match cena hogan would be pretty damn
0: cool i feel like the crowd would have
1: been electric for that i don't know i don't think it can be a, t- a singles match honestly like i feel honestly that we're to the point where we're thinking tag match for the last one you know
0: he managed to get through this match with orton but orton's an easier guy to work with than cena
1: yeah and like again he didn't,
0: t- he didn't take a single bump in this match
1: And watching him, like, in TNA, he never is healthy enough again to really do a match. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so maybe it's him and Cena teaming up or something like that.
1: What's Savage doing? Is he still alive at this point?
0: He is. This is about the time he's challenged Hogan to a fight and Hogan didn't show.
1: Can you imagine fucking Savage and Orton versus Cena and Hogan?
0: (laughs) That would have been wild.
1: Fuck yeah. Uh,
0: Melina and Mick talk backstage. Melina asks if you hear this match is a good idea. She says it'll hurt her reputation if Mick loses to Flair. Mick gets upset that he feels like she doesn't believe in him. And then Melina, like,
1: smirks as Mick is walking away. This is weird as shit. Because what she's basically saying is, I don't associate with losers. But what she's basically saying is, I'm not going to fuck you unless you win. That's all I heard during this segment.
0: Next up, we've got the I Quit match as Mick Foley takes on Ric Flair. Foley is wearing his Cactus Jack tights,
1: so he's going to try to be working, Mick, tonight. Whatever you may have thought this match was going to be, that's not what this match turns out to be, I promise.
0: What did you think this match was going to be versus what we got?
1: I mean, I guess I thought it was going to be like a brawl and like maybe Flair would try to work some technical shit. They go to the barbed wire one second into the match. Foley
0: gets out Socko. Flair gets it away. Like he puts him in Socko and Flair won't quit. Then Flair gets Socko and wraps him in barbed wire and hits Mick with chops with it. That was such a great spot.
1: Flair steals this match. Like, you would not he think that Flair... is just Blair... a wild...
0: He is like Old Yeller. He is a rabid dog here. Old Yeller, you
1: kidding me? And, like, literally, he keeps coming up with these inventive, hardcore spots. It's like he's just been sitting somewhere thinking about, like, well, if I did thumbtacks, I'd do this. Not that I'd I I'd do I it would. right
0: all the ways that I could fuck up McFoley. Yeah. Um... Foley gets a huge barbed wire board and hits Flair in the face with it. Flair proceeds to just juice an absolute gusher. He's bleeding everywhere.
1: Oh yeah, everybody's bleeding tonight, baby.
0: Foley uses the board for an elbow drop on Flair. Flair refuses to quit, tells Foley to kiss his ass. Mick brings out the thumbtacks and he slams Flair on them. Jesus Christ. 60-year-old Ric Flair taking thumbtack bumps.
1: And, like, bless Flair. This is actually one of those times where, like, the fact that he takes all his bumps on his side probably helps, right? Yeah. Because C- he's not taking it full on.
0: Mick brings out the barbed wire bat. He grinds it in Flair's face, but Flair manages to get it away from him and beats on him with it. Foley, Flair knocks Foley off the ring apron with a shot from the bat. Foley crashes and burns onto a uh, trash can on the floor. The referee tries to stop the match. Flair points out it's an I quit match, not get your fat ass knocked out match. And the match needs to continue.
1: I felt like that deserved a bigger pop from the crowd. Than <laughs> yeah, the that's a great that's line. was a
0: great line. <laughs> that was epic. <laughs> um... Flair grinds the bat in Foley's face some more. Molina shows up to throw in the towel. Flair again won't take the win, saying Foley didn't quit. And then we get the finish. Now, I feel like I've heard that someone proposed that the finish to the Rock Foley I Quit match should be that Rock handcuffs Foley to the ring. Post and then threatens Foley's wife to force him To quit that would have been a Perfect finish to that match And way better than the finish They actually did
1: And and that's perfect because it's exactly the kind of Thing that the rock would do the rock Is not known for his brutality He would think a way out
0: It was total and how much heat That is that you threaten a guy's wife To get him to quit like What a piece of shit you are To have done that I don't know why they didn't do that, but here, oddly enough, they do that finish, but in a very Freudian moment, standing in, in the role of McFoley's wife is Molina.
1: Yeah, here's the thing. Is it's basically like, Ooh. maybe his wife just refused to do it this time, so they had to come up with a different version, and he was really attached to doing this finish. I don't know. But this also isn't exactly that. Because instead of Ric Flair like standing over her like I'm gonna beat yeah. your ass if you they don't quit, they didn't
0: execute. They didn't execute this. Like you, it's not clear what happened here. It's ambiguous because right. I think Flair. I, I'm sure Flair was just like, what the fuck? Like I'm, am gonna threaten to carve a woman up with barbed wire. Like that's not me. That's not my character. Who the hell, who the hell am I? I'm supposed to be a baby face and I do that.
1: Also, even beyond that, like. At this point, that wouldn't satisfy Ric Flair. Ric Flair wants to kill Mick Foley. He doesn't yeah. give a shit about getting the I quit, really.
0: Yeah, he wants to actually make Foley say I quit by brutalizing him. Yeah. So they kind of, like, I feel like Flair didn't really commit to this, and I can understand why. But, yeah, it's sort of, like, it's kind of unclear whether he's sw- about to swing the bat at Foley or swing it at Molina. But Foley, in order to protect Molina, quits
1: he just sort of weakly says, I quit. Yeah. And, like, it's not satisfying. It's not good. It's really kind of a betrayal of Mick's character, really.
0: Yeah, I can't come up with a better way for Foley to quit, though. So I just, this didn't need to be an I quit match. It could have just been a hardcore match.
1: I actually don't mind it if they just do the thing where, like, Foley doesn't quit, but they still, like, card him off. So, like, technically, so Flair can just be like, you never actually, I never actually quit. And Flair can just be like, yeah, motherfucker, but you got carted off. You're done.
0: So, the next night on Raw, I don't even remember how it got there, but Vince was going to make Mick kiss his ass, and Mick wouldn't do it. And then Vince said he was going to fire Molina if he didn't kiss his ass, so... Foley did it, and then Melina punched him in the junk and laughed at him and told him he was fired. And, and that was the end of the storyline, thankfully. That's the end. That's, like, that was the big payoff he had in mind, that this was going to make Melina the biggest heel in the world, which I don't think it actually got her any heat, because I don't think anybody cared about Mick by this point.
1: Well, here's the other thing, too. is like, where the fuck is John Morrison during all of this? Like, why is he not in any way a part of any of it? Yeah, he pops up
0: once in a while in these segments, but they don't go anywhere near as far as they did in terms of, like, it seems like he should be in the edge role, but they they don't go nearly that far in terms of pairing up him and Foley. Because that's somehow an even weirder combination than Edge and Foley. At least it, Edge and Foley had that hardcore match against each other.
1: But, like, I think at least at the end like he should come out when Melina like nut shots Foley and just be like "Ah, motherfucker this has been my girlfriend the whole time what did you think was going to happen you dirty old man and then maybe you get a match out of that
0: Nitro against Foley sounds fascinating
1: just Nitro doing a bunch of fly shit while Foley just takes it it just kind of lays there I guess um
0: I don't know. This Foley, I, I enjoyed this Foley Flair match just for the insanity of Ric Flair using barbed wire and tacks.
1: I was out of my mind for Ric Flair here because like, I don't really like Ric Flair matches normally. They just don't have a lot to them. Seeing him become like a mad dog possessed, trying to like eviscerate the soul of Mick Foley by getting through his eyes with barbed wire. Wasn't prepared for that. Enjoyed it quite a bit.
0: Uh, We see Vince and Shane talking to Umaga and Estrada backstage. They say they want Umaga's help against DX tonight, and they call him the baddest monster in WWE. JBL hilariously says you'll never get
1: over in a blue suit with a stupid white hat. And, like, that's a layup that he's handing to Michael Cole. And then Michael Cole goes, hey, you wore those. And JBL's like, yeah. Yeah, Michael. That's that's the joke. That's the maggle.
0: Uh next up we got the world heavyweight championship match King Booker versus Batista. Um amazingly like we've come back this is exactly the same as the JBL Undertaker match from SummerSlam 2 years ago. It's bullshit. Everybody knows Booker's not going to lose the title here, but he's not going to beat Batista either. So it's just a waste of our time.
1: I thought when I looked up this match I thought it lasted 25 minutes. I was like, "How oh, can you on. possibly justify going this long?" And then I looked, and it was only 10. It was like eight minutes, yeah. That, that's not great.
0: No, uh, it's just not great. I at one point Booker cracked Batista in the head with his scepter while Charmel had the referee distracted. That should have just been the finish. Booker should have just gotten the pin here instead of being so afraid to let Batista get pinned. Like, he got a scepter smashed over his head. It's a perfectly fine out. But instead, we get a BSDQ where Charmel jumps in the ring as Batista's about to powerbomb Booker.
1: Yeah, it worked on Warrior. Why can't it work for Batista?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Warrior did the job to the scepter shot.
1: They should have stiffed... Booker should have stiffed Batista. Maybe that's what it was. It's like Batista was like, hey, he's not lighting me up with this thing, right? Like, I, I know my history.
0: Yeah, not a good match. But it took – But I don't know what it was when he came back from his injury, but, man, Batista was bad for a while here when he came back. I think partially it, it took was just
1: but partially I yeah. think it was also just he was afraid to get hurt again.
0: Yeah, <laughs> reasonably because it, he was incredibly injury-prone throughout his career.
1: He was just real tentative. It's not until really like, not until those Undertaker matches, yeah. like, does he really like get him his mojo back?
0: Almost a year, I feel like, to kind of get his confidence and his timing back, and it took working with Undertaker to do it.
1: And then after he got hurt again after that, he really yeah. doesn't get it back until Hollywood Batista, and that's the end.
0: <laughs> uh, backstage, we see Triple H and Sean talking to someone, telling him that. They heard Vince told Umaga that Umaga was the biggest monster in the company, and we can't see who they're talking to. But once they get out of the locker room, we hear someone angrily smashing things in there. We'll get the reveal of who it was later on.
1: Yes, the reveal.
0: And we've got DX against the McMahons. Uh, DX come out first, and they do their
1: shtick. Yep. You know, DX was basically just an entrance, and that's okay, because it's a hell of an entrance.
0: Then Vince and Shane come out. They send the Spirit Squad down to the ring, and those guys, of course, get their asses kicked by DX.
1: There's something... Like, I know everyone hated the Spirit Squad at the time, and it is stupid, <laughs> but, like, and, there's something so charming know, something, about five jabronis.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's just something funny about watching these five... These five dudes just running into battle knowing they're going to get absolutely smashed is really funny.
1: Jumping on trampolines and shit.
0: And then Vince and Shane bring out Kennedy, Regal, and Finlay. That's
1: a random collection of dudes. Just, what do they have in common? They're all dickheads. Okay.
0: They're all on SmackDown. Yeah. Probably would have skipped this part.
1: Yeah, not necessary.
0: Triple H and Sean beat them up too. And then Vince and Shane bring out the big show. He beats up Sean while Finley, Regal, and Kennedy triple team, Triple H out on the floor and show chokeslams Triple H through one of the announced tables.
1: I wish they had done something. Really what happens is they put Sean in with the Vince and Shane thing because he's gotten so over and he's so awesome on ECW. What they're going to do is they're going to kill that push completely yeah. because like, He's going to become such a jobber in this DX thing that it ruins this part of his career. They
0: literally have DX shove Shane's head up his ass.
1: Yeah, like there's really no coming back from that. Which really must have pissed Paul Heyman off after he spent all yep. that time resuscitating him from scratch. Um, but like, I, I just wish that they had at least explained why Show would even want to do it. Like maybe they like offer him some money or something. They just never do. He's just there. Yeah. So
0: the bell finally rings as Vincent Shane beat up Sean while Triple H is knocked out on the floor. This beating goes on for seriously ten minutes before Sean manages to hit a double clothesline. And at this point, Triple H has recovered and gets the hot tag. He beats up both Vince and Shane. At this point, Umaga comes out, and he hits Triple H with the Samoan Spike. But before Umaga can hit Sean with the Samoan Spike, Kane shows up and runs off Umaga. So that's the reveal. He's the monster that DX was talking to in the locker room.
1: I love the idea of DX... Wandering into the locker room, finding Kane, and having a casual conversation with him, which is what was apparently happening.
0: Um, Shane sets up to do the Van Terminator on Triple H, but Sean knocks him out of the air with sweet chin music.
1: That was awesome.
0: Yeah. And then they hit the sweet chin music and the pedigree on Vince and get the pin. This was... A little long, but, you know, inoffensively fun that probably like I don't know that you needed to have um, like the SmackDown guys yeah. and Big Show didn't really need to get involved in here. It probably should have just been the Spirit
1: Squad. New Maga the heavies. Here's the thing. Can you imagine how different we would think about this DX thing if they had had anybody to anyone, fight anyone worth fighting? Anyone real? Like the one match that they have that is real. Is the match with against uh DiBiase and Rhodes, right? Uh, and Rhodes, like, that's a year that's three years after this. I know, and that match kicks unbelievable amounts of ass because they I like, like the, them against. I, I enjoyed them against Edge and That's true too. Rated RKO was good too. And, like, they had to invent that to give DX something to fight. The problem is DX had kind of a window. Like, you have to do it now. Like, you've been building to it this whole time by accident. Like, you can't just not do it. But there's nobody to fight. I don't don't have
0: any good ideas for who to put them against.
1: I do. Cena and Orton. The legendary super team we've always wanted and never got
0: but they would never turn Cena heel.
1: I know. But can you imagine that fucking RKO into the attitude adjustment into RKO?
0: All right. It's main event time. The match, the world has come to see edge defends the WWE championship against John Cena. Edge, of course, won the WWE title from Cena at new year's revolution back at the beginning of the year when he cashed in his money in the bank contract amazingly i don't think anybody on the creative team had actually considered that that was how he should do the cash in it was edge's idea he literally just went to vince was like you know the obvious thing i would do is after scene has done the elimination chamber match i would just cash in on him right then i think before that they were just thinking about it as like The heel is going to name, you know, I want the shot at this pay-per-view or whatever. They hadn't thought of the, you know, instant cash in. And that, of course, has become how it's been cashed in almost every single time since then.
1: It's just such a perfect thing and such an example of Edge understanding that his own character because, that, yeah. of course, that's exactly what the Edge character would do. He'd never pick the time and place and let Cena nah. prepare. Why would you do yeah, that? He
0: doesn't care about getting to main event WrestleMania. Like he just wants to cash in in the sleaziest way he possibly can and win the title. And
1: the funny thing is, like at this point, Edge the like Adam Copeland is so thirsty for that belt and for some level of credibility that he's like one month title reign. Fine. Don't care. Just give it to me. I don't care. Just give it to me, (sighs) which is a shame because when it gets so unbelievably, (gasps) unbelievably (gasps) over,
0: It's a mistake that they didn't give him a longer title run on Raw in this era. He really should have got one.
1: You've got an audible, man. Like, if yeah. you see that segment that he does with, like, the live sex show with Lita, is, yeah. I think, the highest rated TV segment post Attitude Era. Like yeah, I think it's you, have, be. you have something. It does like a three. They weren't even sniffing 2.5s. So, of course, his title reign
0: back in January only lasted three weeks, and he lost it back to Cena at the Royal Rumble. He's going to try to avoid the same fate tonight of being a
1: transitional champion. And, like, I love so much, like, Cena doesn't really do his part to help carry this feud, which was kind of always the case. He's just kind of doing his Cena shtick, like, whatever. He's not very good yet. But Edge is going so far. About, I fucking hate you, Cena. You're the reflection of everything I've ever hated about myself and about everyone. You've been handed everything. I fucking hate you so much.
0: (laughs) Showed up to his house and slapped the shit out of his dad.
1: When's the one where uh, he gets thrown into, like, the, the lake?
0: I think that's, like, a few weeks after this. I was, it's funny. I was thinking that happened in Boston because I thought he threw him into Boston Harbor. Maybe maybe Raw was in Boston the night after this and they threw him into the Boston Harbor.
1: Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, cuz I definitely Yeah, cuz he was probably talking a bunch of shit after he won this and then that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah,
0: or maybe it was just, I mean, they had a number of feuds So maybe it was just a different time they were in Boston, but yeah. At some point Cena AA's him into. I thought I thought it was the Boston Harbor.
1: No, it was it, whatever it is, it's a deeply deeply polluted lake.
0: Yeah, it's disgusting. Oh, Cena comes out first to a mixed reaction here in his hometown.
1: Um yeah, that's that's charitable. It's yeah. funny because they always <laughs> call Boston his hometown. It's not. He's from what, like East Rutherford or whatever the fuck it is.
0: West East, West, West
1: Newberry. And they West they announce
0: they announce him as being from West Newberry. I don't know how far West Newberry
1: is but they try so hard to make boston his town and boston Let's, doesn't want it
0: let me see i'm guessing it's like 30 minutes
1: yeah, i don't think massachusetts is that big that it can be that far away
0: 47 minutes that's actually kind of far north like it's I'm trying to think what is it is it closer to any other major cities not that far from man's might actually be closer it's definitely closer to nashua new hampshire and manchester new
1: hampshire yeah but to like bring it home to like steve and any other weirdos from michigan it'd be like being from ann arbor and saying you're from detroit and people from detroit would be like shut yeah. the fuck up you're not from detroit
0: if you click from detroit you need to bust out the zip code or exactly. it's not legit um edge and lita look so good together like, Ed, what a perfect couple.
1: First of all, Edge and Lita might be the two most attractive human beings in the world at this point. There's just something about that couple oh, wow. that, like, I've never... Yeah. They just look like they every second you're not looking at them on screen, they must be fucking. Like, that's just the vibe that they have. It's
0: so crazy that they were willing to be an on-screen couple... After they had had a real life affair that had like wrecked Edge's marriage and Lita's relationship. Yeah, let's be clear. Lita
1: is actively being like abused in the press yes. online by like her former friends for doing this, for, for having done what she did. Edge is trying to put together the battered remains of his marriage, and yet unsuccessfully. Eh? Yes, and yet he's still on the road with Lita. Yeah. Like, and they have to do this thing, and the problem is, they have maybe the most raw sexual chemistry I've ever seen two people have. So, like, if you were Edge's wife, and he was just like, look, there's nothing going on anymore. I know no. we've slept together in the past. It's hard to believe. If you turn this TV on, you'd be like, yeah. "I no, she dies. Bullshit. Like, no, we're, we're not <laughs> doing this.
0: Early in the match, so should note, if Edge gets DQ'd, he loses the title, so he can't keep the title by disqualification.
1: And the story of the match is that he keeps coming
0: just <laughs> close. He keeps DQ'd. having to he keeps having to stop Lita from interfering because it would get him disqualified. Yep. Early in the match, Edge keeps throwing Cena out to the floor to try to get him counted out, which I really appreciated. Absolutely is a really loud Cena sucks chant. God. Cena tries to rally, but he misses a crossbody. He does manage to cut Edge off when Edge goes to the top rope, but Edge fights him off and hits a flying crossbody. Cena makes a comeback. He hits the shoulder blocks, the blue thunderbomb, and the five knuckle shuffle. He pumps up his shoes and goes for the FU, but Edge slips out and hits the execution.
1: My namesake.
0: (laughs) These guys work so well together. Like, what a perfect matchup.
1: Everything just flows into everything. This is a time when Cena's not having good matches with anybody, but somehow it just clicks with Edge. And we
0: talked about how clunky and awkward he was last week in 04. He's improved some by this point, but he's still pretty bad.
1: Like, are you somebody who thinks that Edge was his, like perfect rival or are you like in the punk camp here
0: um i like the punk stuff more just because it was more real
1: right like i agree with that like i I never really liked any of the stories they told with edge and cena but there's something perfect about them being like mirror images of each other right like once oh, the edge way they
0: work together in the ring
1: yeah once edge was the golden boy who they thought was going to be the top guy of smackdown yeah. but then he got hurt and he missed his chance and here comes cena
0: it's also such good fortune that it feels like all of their finishing moves are perfect to counter into each other
1: perfect they both have like one submission <laughs> yeah. and one impact move And like, you can do anything off the top rope. And like, yeah,
0: like the spear can easily be kept perfectly be countered into either the FU or the STFU and edge can slip out of the FU and spear him or do the implant DDT or the educator. You know, it's all right there for him.
1: And bless edge for having like maybe the most versatile move set of any wrestler ever. He has a ridiculous fleet of moves, but they can all be gotten into from any direction. (laughs)
0: And you can do all of them on anyone. He can do these anyone. moves on the big. do these moves on the big show. They're yeah. perfect. Um, Edge comes back with a cross body, but Cena rolls through it and he sets up with the for the FU. Edge slips out again. Edge accidentally hits Lita. Cena rolls him up for a close two count, and then a double clothesline puts both guys down. Edge goes for the spear, but Cena gets him in the STFU. Lita goes to hit Cena with the belt, but Edge tells her not to because it'll get him disqualified and he'll lose the title. Edge manages to get the ropes for the break. As the referee is getting Cena off Edge, Lita puts brass knuckles on Edge's hand. Cena goes for the FU. Lita jumps in the ring and she Cena get, gets Lita up on top like he's got edge up for the fq and then he gets lead up on top too which this is not quite as impressive as the time he did it with the big show and edge but that was truly insane
1: yes this is the first time we've ever seen him do it to two people and we're like what the hell but yeah
0: little do we know that a couple years after this at wrestlemania he'll get the big show he will get big show and edge who have got to be a combined 700 pounds up on his shoulders and then he just, like,
1: squats them up. And, like, it creates this horrible, like, false sense of security. Do you remember, who was it? Was it Mojo Raleigh or somebody who tried to do this recently and, like, both of his, like, quads blew out? No, it was the... Oh, God. No, it was the uh, the the guitar guy for Shinsuke. What Elias? was his
0: name? No, no, no. Oh, was Rick Boo. Rip Boo at WrestleMania. Yeah,
1: yeah, he tried to do that spot with two guys on his shoulder and he blew both quads out. It was like, ooh, that's why you don't do that. <laughs>
0: I have to confess, when I first saw Rick Boogs, I just thought it was Elias. (laughs) What were the odds they got got another guitar guy?
1: You know, this is random, but like, what do you think the blow off of having a second Elias was supposed to be? Like, where could we possibly have been going with that? What happened with that? Nothing. Did he get hurt? Nothing. (laughs) They just took him off TV because they couldn't figure out what to do
0: to be honest, I kind of think Elias looked like a star in Trunks. Elias looked incredible! He looked like the ultimate (laughs) fucking warrior! (laughs) That could have been the reveal. It could have turned out that Elias was the fake ultimate warrior.
1: That would have been awesome. Actually, I've been in the company for years, hiding.
0: Since 1992. Hiding beneath
1: the bleachers.
0: (laughs) Um... So Cena FU's Lita, and that gives Edge time to hit him with a brass knuckle shot. And Edge shockingly gets the one, two, three, and beats John Cena in his hometown.
1: Hell yeah. A plus stuff.
0: Yeah. A good match. They'd really tear the house down in Toronto the next month with that TLC
1: match. I always think that that TLC match is this match here. I always forget that this one happens at all. So when we yeah. you said we were doing this show, I was like, fuck, yeah, I'm going to get to see that. That's such a good match. It's such a good match. Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, I'm glad Edge got to keep the belt here. I think this definitely did a lot for him, that he didn't just lose the belt right back to Cena at the next pay-per-view.
1: And isn't the stipulation of that match that, like, he has to go to SmackDown if he loses? Like, the loser has to leave the show i think edge it was does-
0: just see C- just i think just cena had to leave if he lost after that edge g- or edge and orton team up against dx
1: that's right yeah because that's when edge does his little like i hate your face cena i hate the way that you look i hate the way that you smell i hate the way that you sound i hate everything about you
0: <sighs> just eternal rivals yep so yeah a wrap on this very bizarre SummerSlam show i didn't hate it but i didn't really like it either
1: i've never had to use i don't think the word horny to describe a show that we've covered on this podcast pretty horny we've been doing the show for years we've seen some real (laughs) horny programming but like goddamn, there were some old man with some half erections in the back i don't know what the viagra budget on this show was but it was too high
0: I feel like if we thought about it, there were probably all seven of the deadly sins on this show.
1: Ooh, I think you're right about that.
0: Is there Mick gluttony? Foley's definitely sloth. Mick Foley is gluttony too, I think.
1: I think they're all Mick Foley, actually, because he's also lust. He's also pride. Also
0: lust. Also pride, yeah. He's also <laughs> they, uh, wrath. That's Rick. No no wrath. Brian Clark wasn't here. <laughs> Which is too bad.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, this is an okay show. Uh, before we get out of here, are you ready for your SummerSlam oh trivia? trivia? Yeah. Oh God. It's time to stump Steve, everybody. Oh. Currently, my win-loss record here is one and two, so not doing super well. But speaking of win-loss records, so the person with, according to like win-loss percentage, the best SummerSlam win-loss record of all time and the person with the worst SummerSlam win-loss record of all time are both in the company at this time. One of them is not on the show, one of them is. Can you name those two people?
0: Okay, wait, could you repeat
1: that? So, best SummerSlam win-loss record of all time. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily undefeated, just that they have the best win percentage, right? Uh, Okay,
0: but to cut you off there, Hulk Hogan was undefeated in in his career at
1: SummerSlam. That's correct, but somebody has more wins than him and only two okay. losses. So oh, technically, okay. So typically,
0: somebody—the person with the most wins ever at SummerSlam.
1: Yes, I mean it's not quite that. It's the person with the most wins without with the minimum amount of losses. It's sort of the way that this is structured.
0: I, I now I realize
1: this is a weird way to put it. <laughs>
0: they this. don't have the best win percentage if it's if there's somebody else with a hundred percent win percentage.
1: That's a good point. Let me restructure this. Okay. okay. So obviously Hulk Hogan, 6-0 and at SummerSlam. Yeah. Okay. Ultimate Warrior is next down, 5-0 and at SummerSlam. Wow. Yes. There is one more person who is undefeated at SummerSlam with at least five wins. Ooh. Can you name that person?
0: Undefeated with five wins. And did you say they're in the company here in 2006?
1: No, because I had to change it to a new thing. So th- they're in the company <laughs> currently today. Today. They've never lost at
0: SummerSlam.
1: They will be on SummerSlam this very week, Steve.
0: Oh, God.
1: <sighs> we will be seeing this person in Detroit this Saturday.
0: Okay, I'm racking my brain to try to think if Roman has ever lost at SummerSlam.
1: The tough one.
0: I have this feeling like he lost a tag match. Or he lost to Wyatt or something.
1: I can tell you that he is not undefeated at SummerSlam. I can't tell you what his win loss record is. I don't have it in front of me, but he's not on the list.
0: I was going to say, I think he dropped one at some point, but I think it's just the one, if I'm remembering right.
1: Yeah. The person who uh, this is is 5-0. and o. So it can't be anybody who's been around forever.
0: No. Charlotte? Charlotte Flair, 5-0. Oh, o. wow. When in doubt, just guess that Charlotte won.
1: She's winning every other fucking pay-per-view she's yeah. ever appeared on. Okay, so this thing was trying to say that Edge at 9-2 and two had the best SummerSlam win-loss record, but that's obviously not the case. He might have the
0: most wins of anyone. He doesn't,
1: though, because Taker's 10-5-1. Okay. Yeah, so I, don't, I don't know where they're going then. Anyway, I was trying to do a dichotomy thing, but let's quickly yeah. do worst SummerSlam win-loss record. There's only one person in all of wrestling... Ever who has lost six matches without a win at SummerSlam?
0: They're zero and six at SummerSlam. Zero
1: and six, and they are who in the, the company hell in two thousand and six.
0: Would get that many matches at SummerSlam and not win any of them? I'm gonna have to think about this hard. Let and me tell you the company. The,
1: let me tell you the other bit guys in the top five while you think about it. Booker T, zero and five. <laughs> wow. Um, Baron Corbin, 0-4 Deservedly Marty Jannetty, 0-4 And John Cena, 5 wins, 10 losses The LeBron James wow. of SummerSlam He does always get his ass beat at SummerSlam, doesn't he? He sure does, It's his kryptonite But one person gets his ass beat even more <laughs> And, based on what we know about this guy This is probably... He probably appeared at SummerSlam Every single year he was eligible to Just about I think he only really worked for this company In his prime for about six years Ooh. And I'll go so far as to say That the reason I thought that this was a fun question Is because Edge is linked to this person Edge is linked to this person Edge is one of the people who beat him one of those six times. Maybe a tag match, maybe not. So it's somebody who beat. Oh.
0: Jeff Hardy.
1: It's Jeff Hardy, baby. Oh. Okay, oh yeah. I'm trying six. to
0: guess. The Jeff Hardy. So he lost to Punk in that TLC match that one time. Yep. He lost him and he lost him and. Matt lost the triangle ladder match to edge and Christian. I think they were in the tag team turmoil match at SummerSlam 99. They were. And I assume he, maybe he's had some more recent SummerSlam. Like it, did him and Matt wrestle at SummerSlam? Like when they came back in 2017?
1: Probably. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can't remember that. I mean, like, yeah, you like, you said he didn't have a ton of SummerSlam matches. There's several he wasn't booked on.
1: Jeff Hardy might have the losingest win loss record of any major star in wrestling history. Jeff Hardy barely ever won a match. He didn't need to. No, it just wasn't necessary. All right. So if we're going to count that as two, then now I am one and four against Steve. <laughs> Got to get some harder questions.
0: <laughs> <sighs> All right. So next time, uh, we are going to jump forward in time. Seven years to SummerSlam 2013 to find WWE in a very different place. But one thing that stays the same is John Cena is still in the main event.
1: And on
0: this show, he'll be defending the WWE Championship against Daniel
1: Bryan. Also, John Cena is a very different man those years ahead. This is after all the years that John Cena has looked and tried and hoped that he could put one man over and have them replace him as the top face. Truly, this feels like that moment. This is the moment where Cena gets to walk away and be like, I did it. I made the next guy. I can. (laughs) Sadly, for other reasons, it doesn't quite work out, but in the moment, it's amazing.
0: No. Also on this show uh Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk and uh some other matches I don't remember
1: yeah Bray Wyatt versus Kane in a ring of fire oh they fell down
0: into a burning ring of fire
1: Alberto Del Rio versus Christian in the most boring sounding match I've ever heard Cody Rhodes versus Damian Sandow hell yeah that's mustachioed Cody Rhodes oh yeah Oh, boy, Dolph this is a two-match show. And Caitlin
0: Caitlyn versus Big E and AJ Lee? What the oh, fuck?
1: Natalia versus Brie Bella. Yeah!
0: A, wow. I mean, I said this 06 was the weirdest SummerSlam ever, but this might give it a run for
1: its money. Van Damme versus Dean Ambrose is on the fucking that's pre-show? The show.
0: Man, what? Man, that's crazy. <laughs>